So I was studying Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. I started having flashbacks to high school. You know, a lot of folks talk about how good it is to be young. I personally thank God that I'm not as young as I was in high school. Sorry for you high school students. I would say this too will pass. One of my memories, bad memories, was middle school and high school, you ate in the cafeteria. And so when you walk into the cafeteria and you get your food, you've got this choice in front of you that has all kinds of implications. It's very simple. Where do I sit? Because when you look over the cafeteria scene, you've got your groups all over cafeteria. And it's, it's been a long time since I've been in high school, but I don't think this has changed. You've got uh, one table that's filled with the sports guys, the football players, the basketball players, that you've got the different tables according to sports. Then you've got the, the cheerleading tables. And then you've got um, the goth corner. Everybody dressed the same. You've got the, um, the druggy corner. Everybody does drugs or tries to look like they do. You've got uh, the group of, of skateboarders. You've got the group of surfers. You've got the um, the group that's partying all the time. Uh, you got the group that's really into video games. The group into computers. And somewhere along the line, you've got to figure out which group am I going to sit with. And sometimes you're looking for that group that's not just so over the top. That was kind of me. Where's the, where's the normal group? <laughs> everybody's thinking the same thing. It's just everybody's normal is a little bit different. And I was kind of looking for that, that normal group who wasn't just so in the fringe, uh, just looked like me and talked like me. And, and, and I wanted to sit with people um, that I wanted to be like. And that's the reality, is that you become who your friends are. And that's true not just in high school. That's true throughout life. You become who your friends are. And so sitting at a table was a big deal in high school, middle school. And even more is when you notice someone left the group. Man, they, they no longer sat with you. And they sat with some other group. That was earth-shaking. What on earth has happened for them to leave our group? And I, I come to Galatians chapter 2 looking for truth looking for encouragement, inspiration, looking for uh, living for something other than this life. And here I see a fight over who's sitting with who at lunch. I'm thinking, wow. But we're going to find there's a lot more to this than just who you eat with. There's a theological argument that's underwriting who they're sitting with. 
And it has a lot to do with what we know as the gospel of grace. We've learned in chapter 1 that Paul has introduced the theme of the letter, how the gospel of grace is initiated by God. And then the other theme of, of the book of Galatians is the defense of the messenger, Paul, and his role as an apostle. And so chapter 1, chapter 2 spends a good bit of time defending Paul's role as an apostle of God, uh, that God has given him authority, that this gospel has been given to him, not through Peter, not through James, through John, but given to him by God himself, through the Spirit of God, verified and affirmed by the believers in Jerusalem, but independent from them. And so uh, we come to verse 11, and we see this confrontation, a public rebuke that Paul gives to Peter. And I've thought about this, and I could have phrased this, this sermon this way. How do you confront someone who walks on water? You know, how do you do that? But that's exactly what Paul is doing. He is confronting someone who literally walked on water. <laughs> and so in the confrontations that God's been leading me in some this week, I realized you know, everyone is susceptible, including me, for rebuke and for, for confrontation. And so with this thought in mind, I, I want us to look at this. And, and Paul is bringing out the application of the gospel of grace. What does the gospel of grace look like when applied? And sometimes it looks like joy, it looks like freedom. But sometimes when you apply the gospel of grace, it looks like a rebuke. It looks like a confrontation. And that's what you've got here. And we're going to look at three applications of the gospel of grace uh, as we look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. And in this being God's word, let us stand as we read this together. I'll read aloud to you, if you'll read along with me. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you... Though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? You may be seated. Paul is writing about a circumstance or a situation that occurs in this city called Antioch. Antioch is the third largest city of Rome in that day and time. It is, in fact, the capital of the Roman province of Syria. It is a major city in the Roman Empire. It is a fairly large city at around 500,000 people in that day and time. It has a, a large Jewish population. Around 65,000 uh, of Antioch are of our Jewish uh, heritage. It is uh, a place that just 10 years prior had endured persecution among the Jews, led by the Roman emperor. 
And so oftentimes when you see persecution occur among the Jewish circles, the Jewish, uh, Jewish people will tighten up what they believe. They will be dogmatic. And what separates them from Jews among the Gentiles, they will be a dogmatic attitude toward their dietary laws, uh, toward what makes them Jews and separate from the Gentiles. And you see that taking place. As well as you look at the events in Rome and Jerusalem, the Jewish population are amping up their Jewish zeal for the riot and revolution that's going to take place in 66. And so there's a great emphasis of being separate from the Gentiles. In fact, it was prohibited for good Jews to eat with anyone who was not of the covenant people. It was considered as a sin to eat with anyone who was a Gentile in that day and time. So that's going on in Jerusalem. It's having a current, an effect that's taking place in Antioch. However, Antioch is very different from Jerusalem. Jerusalem revolves around temple worship. Antioch is not revolving around that. There are people from all over the world in Antioch. There are all kinds of Gentiles mixed with the Jews in this city. And they're learning to live together. And out of this uh, is brought, or, or into this situation is brought Barnabas and Paul. There are believers who are Gentiles coming in faith to Jesus Christ. And so Paul is brought in by the request of Barnabas from Tarsus. He brings him back to Antioch and there he is teaching and is one of the pastors of the church in Antioch where this mixing of Gentiles and Jews are taking place. And it's interesting because these aren't conforming to the laws of Jews. And yet they're very different from Gentiles. And so the Antioch culture, they don't know what to do with this group of people. They don't, they don't fit the labels. They don't fit the Jewish label. They don't fit the Gentile label. They're acting differently. So what do they do? Well, they create a new label. It is here where these folks gain the name Christinoi, our, our people of Jesus, of the flock of Jesus, our little Christ. And so they create a whole new label because these people don't fit in to any of the cultural labels they've got. And so if you were to go into that middle school setting, that high school setting, and you got the different tables, you've got a group of people that don't quite conform to all the rules of the goth and the rules of the druggie and the rules of the sports. And, and they, it's like they're different from everyone else. And, and they get involved in sports and they get involved in different things. They dress differently, but yet there's this culture that's greater than the clothing, greater than what they eat. And so they get this name, Christian. In fact, is out of this city where missionaries are first sent out, where Paul is sent out to, guess where? Galatia. Galatia. And, and so new believers coming to faith in Christ. And so this letter is written and he's telling the people there in Galatia about what's happened in this city called Antioch, this town. And so we come to verse 1. We have Cephas, another name for Peter, coming to Antioch. He's checking out what's happening, what's going on, this new church in Antioch. And there you see, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Good gracious, Peter, what were you doing to get publicly called out? I mean, it's, it's one thing to have a private confrontation. Uh, but, you know, can you imagine? 
If I called out, Wayne, hey, brother, you've been sinning this week. Everybody turned their head. Who's Wayne? Where's Wayne? Wayne? What? <laughs> you know? And so here you have this gathering, and Peter calls out Paul in front of everybody because he stood condemned. And so he explains that in verse 12. What, what was Peter doing? Well, here the fact is, before certain men came from James, who was in Jerusalem, Judea, he was eating with the Gentiles. He had the freedom. He knew the freedom of eating with the Gentiles and eating what they eat. He, he said, bring out the barbecue, you know. Uh, they, were, they were eating what the Gentiles were eating. And he was eating with them. How did Peter come to this conclusion? How did Peter experience this freedom? Well, the Bible tells us uh, how this came to be. In Acts chapter 10, verse 11 through 14, it was nothing, nothing other than a vision from God to change Peter uh, from what he ate in the dietary laws of the Jews to eating other things. And God brought him through a divine encounter to meet with Cornelius, a Gentile, and God taught him through a vision, through encounter, through providence, that it is okay to hang out with the Gentiles and eat what they eat because we're not saved by what we eat and what we don't eat. We're not saved by who we hang out with and who we don't hang out with. We're saved by Jesus Christ and Him alone. So Paul, or Peter, has that moment with Cornelius. He comes back to Jerusalem. He gets called out by the other Jews there. In fact, Acts chapter 11, verse 3 records this. They said, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Peter, how could you? You're supposed to be a leader. What are you doing? And Peter's conclusion is found in Acts 11, verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? He's saying, Jews, God is doing something that's breaking all our rules, and we can't stand before God. This is a moment that, that Peter's had. And so he has this freedom. So when he comes to Antioch, he's got, he's got the Gentiles and the Jews all eating together. And he's thinking, well, let's, give me a fork. I don't know if they had forks. They, give me a chicken leg. I don't know. Give me something. <laughs> and let, let me dip it. You know, I'm going to eat. And so he eats with them. But then these come from Judea. And he starts, notice verse 12. When they came, he drew back and separated himself fearing the circumcision party. So what's changed? Fear. Fear has entered into Peter's life and it's now dictating what he's doing and not doing as opposed to the gospel of grace. And so, I don't know, something about these men he was afraid of. I don't know, maybe he was afraid that these Jews would go back and tell the rest of the Judeans what's going on with Peter and Peter maybe would lose influence because after all, the Bible tells us that he was a minister to the Jews. He's bringing the gospel to the Jews. And so maybe he's thinking, well, you know what? If, if I lose respect, lose face with them, then it's going to hurt my ministry. Maybe he had it justified like that. Uh, but for whatever reasons, when they come, fear enters in and he steps away uh, from the Gentiles. And says, yeah, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang out with the Jews because I, you know, I don't want to eat with those, those Gentiles. They're not of the covenant race. They're, they're not the same as us. And so notice verse 13, when this happens, when leaders fall away from the gospel of grace, it doesn't happen in isolation. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And I think Peter 
I mean, Paul was taking special injury from Barnabas. Barnabas was the one who stood up for Paul in Jerusalem, saying, hey, you know, Paul's not all that bad. He's been saved by the grace of God. He's changed. Barnabas was the one who recruited Paul from Tarsus to go back to Antioch. Barnabas was instrumental in the ministry of Paul. And here his own buddy, his own mission partner, is stepping away from the gospel of grace. And so, verse 14, When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? I think there's something significant about that state, that statement, verse 14. I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, was not in line with, was not walking literally with the straight feet according to the gospel. They're not marching to the beat of the drum of the gospel. And so Peter is called out on that by Paul. Now let me just share with you some implications from this story. First of all, the gospel of grace is needed by all including great faith leaders. The gospel of grace is needed by every single person, including great faith leaders. You know what this tells me? It tells me that you can walk on water at the command of Jesus. You can walk and live with Jesus. You can partake of the Lord's Supper with Jesus. You can have your feet washed by Jesus. You can be one of the witnesses of the resurrection bodily by Jesus. You can watch Jesus ascend up into heaven uh, like Peter did, and you can still fall. Everyone needs the gospel of grace, including great faith leaders. Now, what's so ironic about all this is that the Catholic Church bases their, uh, a lot of their authority on the uh, secession of church leaders that flow all the way back to Peter. And they say, well, because they flow from Peter, what they say is of God. And they'll give out these various decrees and orders. But you go back to Peter and realize, well, Peter messed up too. Peter needed someone to confront him. And you do too. And I do also. We all need someone who's willing to confront us when we step away from the gospel of grace. Now, what's happened? Sometimes you see these faith leaders that fall away and it makes a, a public stink. And you often ask, what on earth happened to make that person fall away from the Lord? I'm going to tell you what happened. The same things that happens to you. Same things that happens to me. It, it's the same strategy. And here, let me just tell you what it starts with. It starts with you telling yourself a lie. It starts with you telling yourself a lie and believing it, running with it. No one else doing it. You telling yourself a lie to justify what, what's going on. You see, the problem here, Paul uh, hits his finger on it, gets his finger on it. He says, you're not walking in step with the truth of the gospel. What are they walking in step with? If it's not the truth of the gospel, they're walking in step with a lie that they're telling themselves. We are resistance to change because we believe we're okay with where we are. 
we will say it's okay to have a little debt in our life, even if it does reveal a little materialism. It's okay if our marriage is just slightly better than a battle scene. It's okay. Even though the Bible says that marriage is to be a metaphor of God's love uh, to this world. We'll say, well, I believe it's okay that I have just terminal casual relationships among the church body. That's okay. I don't need good brothers and sisters of faith. We'll say it's okay that I'm occasionally greedy and envious and jealous because I don't actually steal anything. It's okay. We'll say it's okay that I inappropriately check out people of the opposite sex because I don't have any actual physical actions with them. It's okay. It's okay that I gossip over the phone or in person because, well, I'm going to pray for him eventually. It's, it's okay that I scream at my children because it was righteous anger. It's okay that I don't help out my wife at home. It's okay that I demean my husband because he had it coming. We tell ourselves plausible lies to justify our behavior. But we are called to walk in truth of the gospel. To walk in the truth of the gospel. It is important that we recognize what we are telling ourselves. And what is the problem with faith leaders when they fall away from the Lord? It's the same problem you have and I have. Is when we start telling ourselves, it's okay to not seek God in this action. It's okay to be just complacent because it's good enough for everyone else. And I'm afraid that we're living among spiritual midgets. Because we're not having the standard of the gospel in our life. The truth of the gospel. And so here, Paul and, or Peter was here and he was segregating the, the Jews from the Gentiles. He was hanging out with the Jews, kind of afraid of these Jews who came from Judea. And he said, it's okay because, you know what, eating a little bit less meat probably be good for them. It's okay because, you know what, it's probably a good thing uh, to separate ourselves from our society. And, and he may, I don't know what his justifications were, what his lies were. Maybe it's like, it's okay because this will help me administer to, to the Jews that I'm going back to. Maybe he's telling himself that, but all the time he's not com- considering the truth of the gospel. Listen, we all need the gospel of grace. And, and when I look at Peter, it tells me in this example, Peter is not my model of morality. I am not either your model of morality. Your Sunday school teachers are not your models for morality. David is not your model of morality. And so the Bible includes this this great sin of adultery and murder and lies. You look through the prophets and you see that the Bible doesn't just pick out the good, but brings out the bad. 
Why? Because the prophets, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they are not our models of morality. What is? Who is? Jesus is our model for morality. He is the one we look to. And so when Peter or Paul is sitting there and he's looking at this eating, this encounter, maybe it could be that Paul is thinking, what would Jesus do? What did he do? What is the Spirit of God convicting my heart to do? And maybe he was remembering how Jesus ate with sinners. He ate with the unclean and the Jewish society. And he saw the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And he realized that Peter was deviating from this. And he called him out on it. The gospel of grace is needed by all, including great faith leaders. So what do we do? We make sure that we preach the gospel to ourselves every day of our life. Here's the beautiful thing. You think, that sounds like a lot of discipline. I don't know if I can do that. Well, that's why the Bible says that for you to be a child of God, you must have the Spirit of God in your life. It is, the, it is Christ in us, which is the hope of glory, it is the hope of this life and the life to come. It is Christ in us. In fact, you wonder, what is, what is it we need to grab onto? What Paul just tells us in just a little bit, as we keep on going down, uh, if we, we read verse 16, he says, remember this, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. Because by works of law, no one will be justified. What is it, this gospel of grace to say, you know what? I am a lousy person. I mess up. What if we changed our name? Our church name. The Church of the Losers. Welcome to the Church of the Losers. What would you think about that? The first thought is, yeah, I don't, I'm not going for that one. That, that doesn't mark it very well. Create a graphic for that. Put it on the TV. Welcome. Glad you could come to the Church of Losers in Nightdale. But how many of you would feel like that, um, okay, i got to check out now. I don't fit that category. If you think about it, it fits more than you might want to realize. <laughs> Seems to be a good summary here. Because it's not until you realize that you're a loser that you're willing to get a savior. And this is not the congregation of everyone who's got it together. It's the congregation, the gathering of losers who are trusting in Jesus Christ for their life. And that apart from Jesus Christ, I have no hope. If heaven and forgiveness is not a gift of the grace of God... I'm not getting it. And that's our hope. I'm not saying that we should change our name, but I'm not arguing against it either. I challenge you to argue against that. See what argument you might have. And so, verse 16, it's those who understand us. We're not justified by the works of law, but it's through faith in Christ. Because of the work of law, no one would be justified. And so what do we go down to? Verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's not a better Jared. It's not a better Ellen that we're looking for in the baptism. We're looking for a dead Jared. 
We're looking for a Jared that has Christ in his life to be crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this is just an amazing thing. We, the choir sung about it, the, the group sung uh, for us, that it is the fact that when God sees us, He doesn't see all the reasons why I need the Gospel. He sees instead Jesus and His righteousness. It just is breathtaking. It is breathtaking to know, knowing who I am, knowing what I've done, that when I come before God, because I trust in Jesus, He sees the record of Jesus. He is the only one who has ever fulfilled the law. And He sees Him when He looks at me. So how dare I come along and say, you know what, if you don't eat this meat, then maybe God will see me better. Maybe if I don't eat with this group of folks and sit at that table, maybe God will think of me better. Has nothing to do with that. When folks ask, how is it that you can have so much hope in eternal life? How is it that you can know for certain that when you die, you'll be with God in heaven? And here's why. I have hope and I have certainty because it has nothing to do with my performance. It was a gift of God and I believe it. You want to doubt that? You're doubting whether Jesus Christ is able to save you. That's what it comes down to. And so, the gospel of grace... This is what we preach to ourselves to say, I live for Jesus. I live for Jesus. He is changing me. He's got a new life. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so when I think about the things that clamor for my heart, for my attention, the things of which I could live for, instead I say, why, why would I content myself to live for a lie when I've got Jesus? And all these lies that take us to complacency. When you've got Jesus, why do that? Well, I've, 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 there's a lot I can say, but something else here. What, what's another, another implication, or application rather, of the gospel of grace? The gospel of grace is countercultural to all cultures. Even a good culture. Okay? Even a religious culture. All right? We kind of hit, hit on this last week. But here we see a great example. It was a good thing for Jews to be circumcised. I was, I was thinking about that as, as a reading in Exodus. Did you know that Moses was almost killed because he didn't circumcise his son? God, God stopped and said, whoa, I'm about to kill you. And his wife had to call him out. I said, Moses, you are a man of blood to me. You've not been obedient. That's how important circumcision was and the law. So can you understand the Jews' mentality? Hey, they've got biblical argument for why they need to be circumcised. But they were not reconciling it with what Jesus Christ did and that he was circumcised. He was perfect in his law so that he could give to you what you could not perform by your circumcision. And so they, they saw how important it was. And it was a culture that was based on the Torah. It was based on reverence to God. I, I went to, even now, if you go to Jerusalem, I mean, if, if I was at the Welling Wall, I had to put a little yarmulke uh, on my head. Um, why? Because it showed reverence to God. This is not just some any wall. This is a special set-apart place. Uh, and, and so even today, 
there is still great reverence. And, and the kissing of the law and the washing of the hands and the reading of the Torah and the, the keeping of the, the dietary laws to this day and the, the rigid rules about the Sabbath uh, and all these things that separate them from the Jewish culture. And, the, and, and the, you ask, well, why do you do these things? Because it's out of reverence to God. A lot of things can be said about Islam. A lot of things could be said about Mormonism. A lot of things could be said about Jehovah's Witnesses. A lot of things like that could be said about Baptist. Oh, 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 wait, aren't you Baptist? Yes. But I'm going to say that Baptists can create a culture that is good. But we've got to examine it to see where the gospel counters it. Because if it's man's invention, it will counter and that's why sometimes my hardest teaching is for us believers. That's why Jesus' hardest teaching and preaching, I mean the mean stuff, like viper, you're a viper, you're a, a whitewashed tomb, <laughs> were for religious people who thought their salvation was based on what they did and their culture, that they were sons of Abraham. And Jesus said, no, this is countercultural. So, understanding that, that even in our own church society, when we're trying to base a culture based on the gospel, we still have to be very vigilant that we're not stepping somewhere and adding to the gospel. So, with that being said, here's how you can live in step with the gospel of grace when you live in a culture that's good. Therefore, let grace replace the fear of man. Let grace replace the fear of man. That was Peter's issue. Instead of letting the grace of God influence him and the, and the gospel of grace, he started looking instead at mankind. And that's kind of a trend you see in Peter. It, it reminds us of Peter when he's walking on the water, and instead of looking at Jesus, he starts looking at the waves, and he gets distracted and starts to sink. It reminds us of Peter when he's there at the night when Jesus is put on trial, and he's warming his hands by the fire, and he's caring more about what his fireside companions are telling him as opposed to who Jesus is and denies Jesus uh, as, any, as any knowledge to him. Because he's afraid of man. And you see this thread that occurs. And I'm going to tell you. When you're about to be ostracized and demonized by good people. It gives you pause. It gives you pause. But let the grace of God replace the fear of man. Therefore let the grace of God replace hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. At the root of hypocrisy is insecurity. Insecurity is at the very root. For example, Luke chapter 12, verse 1 and 4. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, what you said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you've heard in private rooms shall be proclaimed in the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. At the root of hypocrisy is insecurity. Will I be liked by this group? And I don't think that these values will reflect well. And so you dress up. Gothic. 
because that's acceptable. I'm not just picking on that. You name the culture and the dress. And we conform to that group, letting that define us as opposed to the gospel of Christ. It's the insecurity that's there that drives the hypocrisy. Let the grace of God... uh, No, to say, you know what? God sees me in all my inconsistencies and because I trust in Jesus, all those inconsistencies now are on Jesus Christ. And the consistent, pure walk of Christ is now on me and God loves me. What can man do? Romans 8, verse 31 to 34. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all? How will he not also with them graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. We need to look at this and and understand when there is the fear of man, when we're not willing to stay stay the course of the gospel because good people are opposing it, we get to ask ourselves, who is God? What can good people do? Even good religious folks. What can they do to me? They can ruin my reputation, but am I living for my reputation? Or am I living for the gospel? This is a question we have to ask ourselves. What defines us? Hypocrisy. Fear of man. These drive cultures. We're to live not by the culture, but live by the gospel. So when this society looks at us, they, they can't put any labels on us. Well, they're like Baptist and religious people, but then they're different. They get this other quality about them, joy and freedom and inviting other people and, and hanging out with people. And they, I, don't, I can't put my finger on it. There's nothing, there's nothing in my vocabulary that fits this. Let me create something. They're just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. It's that no one can peg you other than to say they're like Christ. And so, let me share with you one other important thing to watch out for so that we can be counterculture to even good cultures. Let the grace of God replace legalism. Replace le- This is probably one of the hardest things for us to do. And I, when I mean us, I mean Green Pines Baptist. We grew up in a system where we marked the good things and we marked the bad things. And if you have enough good things, then you have the right to call yourself a Christian. If you're able to say, I don't do these bad things, then you've got the right to say, okay, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I remember growing up uh, in Sunday school, we had those envelopes. And on those envelopes was marked, um, read my Bible, did my Sunday school lesson, never did could write that one down, um, gave your tithe, church attendance, being a PK, a lot of these things were just in my system, you know, growing up. It wasn't a stretch for me to do these things. But man, it felt so good. I mean, no one else did them because they didn't do them. But I did them, so I was like, I was checking off, like, yeah, 
pat my back. Now, there's, I understand that there's a good accountability, but it can be a dangerous thing. When we have in our mind that checklist of all the things of what makes up good believers, good Christians, here's the thing. When I read the Bible and when I read Galatians, Paul is bringing up this point. It's Christ, His grace, and nothing else. Nothing else. It's not Christ and hanging out with the Jews and not the Gentiles. It's not Christ and the dietary laws. It's not Christ and circumcision. Now you put our values in today. It's not Christ and being a member of Green Pines Baptist. It's not Christ and being a member of any Baptist church. It's not Christ and baptism. It's not Christ and Bible reading. Oh, it took me a while to figure that one out. Honestly. Some of you are going to struggle with that for a little while. It's not Christ and the absence of tattoos. I don't like tattoos. But you know what? Whether I have a tattoo or not doesn't change where I am before God. It's not Christ and all these things that we tend to list out as these checklists. It's just Christ. The grace of God is that God sees you and you could have no way of swimming across the ocean on your own. And that is the just as a small metaphor compared to the gulf between you and God. And God says, I will save you because of Jesus Christ. Deal with that. Deal with that. And we have been living in such a way where pride dominates all that we do and it's reflected in the various uh, various values, whether sportsmanship to uh, prosperity, uh, to being a good person, to being a religious person. I'm afraid that a lot of our religious is just pride with different clothes on it. And pride is the enemy of grace. Grace ruins pride. You know how to ruin someone prideful? Just give them something. It just tears them up. Especially if they have no way of gaining it in their life. Let me give this to you. No, 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 no. Please let me pay some. No, no. I mean, it just tears them up. And that's what God does with us. Forgiveness. Bam. Deal with it. And that's why Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When they care more about getting right with God than getting right with himself and other people. Now, the gospel of grace. One other very important application in this. The gospel of grace is needed by all, including great faith leaders. The gospel of grace is counterculture to all cultures, even a good culture. And then the gospel of grace means there are no second-class Christians. It means there are no second-class Christians. I think I have a hard time with, especially as we look at international, there's this idea of American Christian, African Christian, Asian Christian. And it's like, sometimes we'll put up barriers between them. And there are no barriers in the gospel of grace. Because I'm not right with God because I'm American. I'm not right with God because I'm African or Asian or Arabic. I'm not right with God because of any of these things. That just happens to be the genetic pool I came from. 
or the language I speak. I'm right with God because of the grace of Jesus Christ. He saw me sinking. And I understood I was sinking. And I reached out to a Savior that picked me up. Um, I know a good portion of us grew up with segregation as normal. Um, I grew up with, with family. My parents grew up with that. My grandparents. I don't think just tolerated it. They, that was just normal for them. It was acceptable for them. Without thinking about the damage it did to the Africans, uh, African-Americans in our nation. But I think maybe even more the damage done to the spiritual believers in that day and time. Just calloused to it. Not thinking about it. I grew up with a granddad that would have all kinds of terms for people of color. And growing up, I didn't blush. because That was normal. Normal isn't right. Normal doesn't always mean right. Because remember, the gospel of grace is countercultural, even good cultures. I remember it was in 1996 when God just convicted my heart that racism was never to be a part of, of who I am. And at that time, I remember hearing jokes around family gatherings. Jokes about other races, primarily African Americans. And I remember laughing at them because everyone else was laughing at them. But about that time, I was starting to laugh with a thought maybe I shouldn't have been laughing. But I remember it was in 1996 where it just hit me full force. And I made a vow never laugh again at racism jokes. Never again make racism feel comfortable. I know where many of you, some of you came from, where you grew up. But I would just challenge you that when we read this passage is as if Peter, by accident, was endorsing racism. And his willingness to not stand up to man. Even Barnabas and the other believers were walking away. So what would that do if you were living in Antioch in that day and time? As a Gentile. And all of a sudden, the Jews kind of had their own table. And you're thinking, oh, okay. I guess now that means for me to be accepted into the church... I've got to be a Jew. What do you do when you can't change your blood? You can't change the color of your skin. Well, let me just tell you, in no uncertain terms, racism in any form is a sin. It is hated by God. It is contrary to the gospel. It is out of hell. And if you, at this point, still entertain jokes that demean other races, 
I am just going to tell you that you are not walking in step with the gospel of truth. You are not walking in step with the gospel of the church that is based on that. And I would pray that you are not walking in step with Green Pines Baptist as it hopes to be a church that's walking in step with the gospel of grace. And you are not walking in step with heaven itself. And you are counter against God. Let it never be said that there is within Green Pines, in our congregation, in our church, a, a tolerance for racism. And let it begin personally in our heart. Because when we say that there are second-hand people, we're saying that there are second-hand Christians. And there is nothing that we have to hope in except Jesus Christ. And when you're in heaven and they're there and you see an African, you see an Asian, you see an Hispanic, and you see a Russian And you see all the different ones. And the Bible says that there still is other languages going on in praise to God. And you're not looking down your noses because you thank God that you're there. Nothing but the grace of God. Not because you're American or white or black or Asian, but Jesus Christ and Him alone. And then you have this chorus in heaven describing praise to God. And so, when I see a church... And I pray not just me, but when we see a church that is in a community where it is very diverse in its race, but yet somehow we have this pocket of white. Something of the gospel of grace is not hitting home with who we are. Something is walking out of step. With the gospel of grace. And I would just say. Turn your ear. Not to church as you've known it. For the last 50-60 years. Do not turn your ear there. There are errors there. But turn your ear to that. Which the church of 50 years ago. Turned its ear to. And that is the gospel of grace. And let it have free reign. Because it will demolish traditions. Because every culture is going to be counter the gospel at some point. Let the gospel speak. Don't stifle it with our culture. And that's what Paul is willing to confront a man who walked on water with Jesus about. Let the gospel of grace live freely in Antioch, in Green Pines. Let it live freely. It is our only hope. Let's pray.